You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. To a very special remote edition of White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We are out and live. You can come out and hang out with us here at the T-Mobile Mag Mile location. We're at 700 North Michigan Avenue, sitting down here and hanging out, talking White Sox with you. Plenty to do on the show this afternoon and lots of stuff to give to you. You know, usually when we're, I mean, this is actually, technically speaking, other than the White Sox Weekly shows we do from SoxFest, which we love doing, this is our first live remote. I feel a lot like... This has to be a lot like what a minor leaguer feels like when he gets called up to the show. We're doing the same thing. Like, we're here doing the same thing that we always do, but it's in very different circumstances, and I'm, I'm looking around and wide-eyed, and the whole thing. This must be what it's like for a young player to see the second deck on a ballpark, and then all of a sudden uh, has to do the same thing he's been asked to do. For instance, let me explain and set the scene for you here live at the T-Mobile Mag Mile store, which is where we're doing White Sox Weekly from this whole afternoon. I, I sit down, and in front of me, there is, it's a wall that has an entire uh, monitor. It's not even a monitor. It's an in-wall screen, a T-Mobile screen that's got to be 40 feet high, and then the entire ceiling is covered by another screen. I'm going to see what I can do about them putting the ball game up there for us onto the T-Mobile screen, because I don't see why not. And if we put it landscape, then the batter would be, I'm, I'm just saying you should come on out here and see what we're talking about, see what the T-Mobile store has out here. It's a uh, big thanks to them for having us out here at the store, uh, all, us at WLS AM 890, and also 97.9 The Loop, our sister station. They're going to be out here as well. April Rose will be here hanging out with you. And we've got stuff. First and foremost, before we get you the rundown of the show this afternoon, and it is a good one, I've made sure of it, uh, we do have a couple of things to give to you if you come on out. We have baseball tickets, tickets to live, actual, honest-to-God baseball games to give to you. You can hang out in the WLS Diamond Suite with these tickets. It'll be a great time. We've also got concert tickets we're giving away. You can go see Def Leppard. You can go see the Loop's 40th anniversary show at the Chicago Open Air featuring Kiss and Ozzy Osbourne. Pretty cool stuff. You come on down here, hang out with us all afternoon, uh, and then get yourself around to the... I mean, listen, it is a gorgeous day out here in downtown Chicago. There's no reason you shouldn't be out on the Mag Mile walking around. Lord knows there are hundreds of other people doing it. You can come out and hang out with them. Uh, it is not such a... Well, it's close to a, a pretty nice day in Cleveland. It's very close. It's, it's warm. It's muggy. It seems like the rain's going to hold off, and we shouldn't have too much of a problem We've got a 6:15 first pitch for you tonight here on WLS with the White Sox and Cleveland Indians. That, of course, David Holmberg and Josh Tomlin making the starts this evening. And so here's what we've got planned for you on the show as we get up to the pregame show, which will start at 5:35, 5:40. I guess tonight we'll start the pregame show, 5:40 before the 6:15 first pitch. Since the Major League Draft is coming around on Monday, June 12th. We figured we'd dive into that a little bit with J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. I, I don't know anybody who does the draft as well as Baseball America looks at the draft. And the reason being, and I, I don't mean to, there are other places that do a great job of evaluating these prospects and taking a look at what kinds of players each and every major league organization to bring in to the fold to come the 12th, 13th, and 14th of June. But 
Baseball America does a great job of following the college system all the way throughout the whole baseball year. You know, they've got top 25 rankings out. They rate individual players throughout the season. They're just It's just been part of their brand for years now. And I was reading something that J.J. Cooper had, and he's going to be our guest, probably about 4.30 or so. We're going to have J.J. Cooper on the show. I was reading something where he was tweeting about how the draft, the Major League Baseball draft was covered, was just done even 30 years ago. We found out, and I didn't know this, obviously, but I, we, we found out that apparently we found out which players were drafted in the first round. And then for the rest of the guys taken in this draft, you, you didn't really know what round they were taken in. It was just a, group, a list of names that you were just handed. And it was like, oh, by the way, this team took these guys, and this team took these guys, and it doesn't matter where they were drafted or even where they came from. They weren't even listing schools. And in the last 10 years, and in large part because of Baseball America, in large part because of of really baseball fans and the way they consume the game these days. And I, I credit a lot of things, you know, the proliferation of, of TV and radio contracts, the whole way. The, the way you can consume the game now is multifold. But we get to learn so much more about these prospects that come into the organizations now over the last 10 years, in large part thanks to people like J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. And we get to use, uh, really exploit his expertise on the show this afternoon, right about 4.30 or so, We'll talk with J.J. about what this Major League Draft looks like, what the Sox could be looking at, and I think, too, you know, it'd be interesting to ask J.J. about the way the White Sox organization has kind of shifted in perception amongst the people who rate these drafts, the people who watch these prospects come in, because since Nick Hostetler has taken over, I think White Sox fans understand this, especially if you were at Sox Fest this past season. Just another really great reason to get yourself to Sox Fest when it comes around in late January. You, you get this perspective in all these different panels from the actual people making the decisions inside of the organization. And, you know, as we found out from Nick and from Doug Lauman, who is still very much involved, and from guys like, you know, Marco Patti, who's been talking a lot since signing Luis Forbera into the system, exactly, you know, how those players and those prospects are evaluated and how that's changed over the last handful of years. So... A really interesting conversation, I'm sure, with J.J. Cooper on the way. We'll also, right after the 4 o'clock news, talk with Kevin Smith, White Sox catcher. He is in the lineup tonight, hitting eight and catching David Holmberg this evening against the Indians. We'll talk with Kevin about a number of different things, including just how much better playing Major League Baseball is than being in the minors and about working with the pitching staff. A lot of guys on that staff now are guys that he's worked with before in AAA Charlotte, in spring training. He's got a familiarity with a lot of these guys, and I think that kind of perspective will be pretty cool to hear. In a couple of minutes, right after this, our first break here in just a few, we've also got Ricky Renneria. He talked last night on Jose Abreu, and I guess that's kind of where... Oh, we'll also talk with Scott Merkin. I should give you that. We're going to talk with Merck right about 5 o'clock or so, right after Ricky Renneria has had his pregame press conference this afternoon before the White Sox take on the Indians. And we'll get the latest from Merck about what he kind of sees about the draft that's coming up here, um, what's he seen about the roster some. We've got a couple of roster moves today that we'll get into here on White Sox Weekly and into the pregame show as well. We've got the mailbag. You can always get at us here on the show, 312-591-8900. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. In case, just in case you're stuck in traffic while you're coming out here to the T-Mobile Mag Mile store on 700 North Michigan, you know, that's where we are doing the live show today. So if we sound a little different, that's why. Uh, but if you want to get involved on the phone, you can, 312-591-8900. Or you can hit us up, as always, on Twitter, 
at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. You tweeted us. We get your tweets here on the show. That's how it works. Sox fans, you can join us for Country Music Night presented by Coca-Cola on Friday, June 23rd at 7.10 p.m. You get to purchase specially priced ticket packages to receive a game ticket and a White Sox cowboy hat. Uh, actually, you get the White Sox cowboy hat voucher. Hats are limited to the first 1,000 fans. And it's going to be a hot item, too. Melky Cabrera, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, you know, clicking around or whatever. I, I think I retweeted it on C1 McKnight. There is a video of Melky at Guaranteed Rate Field. And someone, I don't know who, that's going to be what we find. Maybe it was Steve Dahl. Maybe it was Matt Dahl. It was one of the Dahls, probably. Uh, lobbing a pitch into Melky while he is in full cowboy getup. The whole regalia, the... The boots, the spurs, the uh, the plaid shirt, the cowboy hat, shades. You gotta have. Sh- it's like they're like rodeo shades. And he's uh, he hits a, a baseball with a guitar, which I don't recommend doing at home necessarily. But if you're milky, you can pull it off. Um, so that that video is out there, and this is the kind of hat that you can get at this giveaway. Visit WhiteSox.com/country to get yours today. So we've got you the rundown for the show. We'll hear from Ricky Renteria in just a couple of minutes here on WLS AMA 90. We are live at the T-Mobile Mag Mile Store, 700 North Michigan Avenue. If you come out out here this afternoon, you've got a chance to win tickets to baseball games. You can be in the WLS Diamond Suite, Def Leppard tickets, and we've got, of course, tickets to the Loop's 40th anniversary show. April Rose will be here giving those tickets away uh, in just a little bit this afternoon. I am not April Rose. I'm Connor McKnight, but you can come hang out with me anyway at the 700 North Michigan Avenue T-Mobile Mag Miles store. We'll hear from Ricky Renneria, get you the latest on Jose Abreu and a few roster moves for the White Sox and some notes on the rehabbers, the big-name rehabbers for the White Sox in the minor league system now. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can tweet us at C1McKnight. I'm Connor. You've got White Sox Weekly. This is WLS AM 890. Have you ever wanted the chance to enjoy a picnic in the outfield of Guaranteed Rate Field? Meet 2017 White Sox team members and talk to White Sox alumni. Well, now is your chance. Join us on Sunday, June 25th for Picnic in the Park. All proceeds benefit White Sox charities. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSoxCharities.org. Scary moment in last night's loss to the Indians. Jose Abreu plunked in the left knee or just below it by a slider from Andrew Miller. He went down like a ton of bricks, did Jose, and that is rare. Dude has a pain tolerance like nobody I've ever heard of. If he's hurt, if he comes out of the game, you know he's banged up. He left, didn't put much weight on his leg on the way out, but Ricky Renneria says things are all right. Uh, he got hit pretty good, but he's going to be fine. Uh, I think he says uh, we'll know how he is in the morning, but uh, he, he's he's fairly confident he's he'll be okay. Did you guys need to do X-rays with him? No, no I got mostly uh, muscle, uh, just just below the left uh, of the knee. Uh, you know, he's got pretty big legs, so it's it's they've been icing it since he got in, and it's the swelling is actually almost non-existent. So I'm sure he'll have some tightness in the morning. We'll figure out uh, when I talk to him and then when he comes to the park if, if he'll need a day. But th- this will be truthfully a day-to-day time. What is, what was that like to see you go yeah. down like that? Uh, he, he's pretty pain tolerant, I think. And so that was, you know, that was pretty impactful when you go down like that. I mean, you got a guy throwing pretty hard out there, even though it was a slider. So he still has velocity and he's got some bite. And I think it just caught him. He, couldn't, he just couldn't get away from it. That's Ricky Renneria. Certainly good news on Jose Abreu. I don't know about you, but if I get hit with a pitch really anywhere, I'm not even showing up to the ballpark the next day, let alone getting into the lineup. 
I mean, Jose Abreu is in the lineup this afternoon, this evening, I should say. Uh, he is batting third and playing first base. He is uh, apparently so tough that he doesn't even need the DH spot. He's going to hop right back in there at the one-bag position and in his customary three-spot in the lineup for the White Sox. Good news, certainly. Jose uh, isn't quite as hot as that streak he'd gone on about two weeks ago and for about two weeks or so, but certainly a, a presence in the lineup with uh, a couple of knocks recently. Uh, none last night, but a walk. He was uh, 0 for 1 with a sack fly, a hit by pitch, and a walk, kind of one of the more curious uh Stat lines there. Had a knock on the uh, last night's game or two nights ago. Had a single in the final game against the Rays. And uh, nice to see Jose Abreu back into the lineup tonight, not missing much time. A couple of news, pieces of news and notes for you here on uh, WLS AM 890 and White Sox Weekly as we go. We'll keep this to the, uh, to the White Sox themselves, but we've got a couple other pieces of news and notes that we'll get to a little bit later on in the show, and we'll do the whole news and notes thing. Um, for the White Sox, a roster move yesterday. I suppose this was just as the, I'm looking over at Dave Zaslowski, the executive producer of White Sox Baseball. This was right as the postgame show ended last night, right? It was, we had this in the last couple of minutes. Adam Engel was sent back down, optioned, I should say, to triple-A Charlotte. Had a couple of games and actually, I thought, played pretty well. In 20 at-bats, had six hits, four stolen bases. All the hits were singles. Uh, a seven strikeouts, one walk, but, you know, early on. And played a real good center field. He's been sent down to make room for Alan Hansen, who was acquired by the White Sox from the Pirates off of waivers. Seems like that's a lot of conditionals there, but it's a pretty typical acquisition for a player. Hansen had been a top ten prospect for the Pirates just even um, even two years ago in 2015. He was one of the White uh, one of the Pirates, I should say top prospects, mostly a shortstop, has played a little bit of the outfield, has played a little bit of third base as well. Hansen's right there into the 25-man roster and is not in the lineup tonight, but the way Ricky Renneria has kind of worked with his call-ups in the um, both on the roster side and, and in the bullpen, guys have, you know, when they get called up, been thrown right in there almost, almost always in that first game they're available to play. In the case of Adam Engel, he played the second. He was in the starting lineup the day of a doubleheader against the Tigers. And you think back to a number of bullpen arms, whether it's you know Brad Goldberg in a tough debut or Jake Patricia last night, though he's a veteran for sure and kind of falls into a different category. Guys have been thrown into the lineup, and I, I, I like that. Otherwise, you know, a guy, especially if he's coming up and would be making his major league debut or hadn't had a cup of coffee up at the big league level for a little while, Sits on the bench for some and gets a little nervous, lets the nerves rack up. Get him right into a ball game, knock that whole thing out of there, and, and just fire things right up and get him into a ball game and, and ready to roll, doing what he's been doing the last couple of weeks. A couple of notes on rehab starters as well. Uh, for the White Sox, Carlos Rodon is going to make his next rehab start at the AAA level. That'll be tomorrow for Charlotte. Had an all-right debut in his first outing with the Winston-Salem Dash. He uh, went a handful of innings. I think it was 3.1. Gave up five. He struck out five. You know, it's just a, a mixed bag of results. But more or less, or mostly rather, what you're looking for from both James Shields as he makes a couple of rehab starts here in Charlotte. And it sounds like it's going to be sounds like it's going to be one more rehab start for James Shields down in Charlotte. Ricky Renneria mentioned that yesterday. And, and that's fine. You take things slowly. 
you know, move with caution, I think, when it comes, especially lat strains like that, because whether it's been Jake Patrishka who went down to lat strain, whether it's been James Shields, these things can flare back up and cost a ton of time. They're almost like oblique injuries for hitters. They seem to just last forever and a day. And for the White Sox to be a little bit more patient here, eh, probably the right track that they're taking. Uh, so as I mentioned, Rodon is going to make that next rehab start on the 11th. That's tomorrow. James Shields has already made one. He'll make one more. David Holmberg makes the start today. And you figure maybe not the next time through the rotation, but the time after the White Sox may be adding James Shields back into the rotation. For Rodon, it's more, much more of a... Much more of a spring training approach to things. Much more of a, a get your stamina up, get things, get your legs underneath of you. Make sure that you've got the wherewithal to last a handful of innings, get deep into ball games because that is really, by and large, what's been the bugaboo for the White Sox over the last week and a half, two weeks of baseball. The starting pitching has, unfortunately, for the White Sox, put them behind the eight ball more often than not. You look back through a handful of starts here, Miguel Gonzalez last night going four and a third and giving up four. That's actually not so bad if you look at some of the starts. Derek Holland, four and two-thirds, he gave up six. Mike Pelfrey, five and one-third, gave up two earned. That's pretty good. Jose Quintana in a real bounce-back start. And I think we'll talk a bit about Jose Quintana later on on the show. And I think even with Kevin Smith, we'll kind of bring up some of the issues that have uh, come up for Jose Five and a third, one run against the Rays. And it was, a, it was a very different Jose Quintana, I thought. The pitch mix seemed different. The selection seemed different. Whether it was, you know, kind of putting the curveball away some, relying more on fastball change, or whether it was just attacking hitters in, in a different way, in a different zone, it seemed to work out for Jose Quintana, though it looked different. It seemed to work out. He got 114 pitches in that outing. David Holmberg, in his last start prior to tonight's three and two-thirds, he gave up one. Holmberg's in a different category, though, coming out of the bullpen and just trying to give innings to his ball club who could use a handful of them. 312-591-8900 here on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. We are live at the T-Mobile Mag Mile Store here on 700 North Michigan Avenue. You can come on out and hang out with us, and we can even talk White Sox baseball here live on the show. We've got a number of microphones. I've seen a lot of We have a lot of microphones. Uh, so we can either talk during the break or we can talk with the best microphones. We have all the microphones, the best. So you can come out here and talk White Sox with us, uh, or you can get in on the phone lines, 312-591-8900. You can also hit us on Twitter, at C1McKnight. Now, the reason you might want to come out here, as opposed to just you know lobbing a call into the station and seeing what happens, is that you can win tickets to baseball games. We've got some for you. Uh, they're up in the WLS Diamond Suite, so those are good seats. Uh, you can also win tickets to concerts today, uh, Def Leppard and the Loop's 40th Anniversary Show. We're giving away tickets to all of that good stuff. The 40th Anniversary Show features Kiss, also Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know if they're doing a number together. I would hope so. That'd be pretty fun to watch. I'd definitely watch it. April Rose is also going to be here. She from the uh, 97.9 The Loop. Also, I'm told, uh, it, she's John and Ray's summer intern, big John and Ray's summer intern. I'm not sure. I, I, can't, I can't qualify the veracity of that. I, I'm not actually sure if she is. We'll have to ask her once she gets here. Big John and Ray really like to, uh, to put that stamp down and, and let everybody know that she's her summer intern. After the break here, and it's coming up in just a couple of minutes, we'll get you the 4 o'clock news. After the break, we're going to hear from Kevin Smith, White Sox catcher, who is in the lineup hitting 8 tonight. And we'll talk with him a bit about some of the struggles the White Sox have had to get deeper into ballgames. Certainly we'll talk about 
you know, Kevin and how he's feeling this season in his first really long and extended work in the big leagues. Uh, you remember last season he was called up and had the back thing come up, just a, a spasm sort of deal right before warm-ups in what would have been his major league debut. I think that was a yeah, it was a, it was a game in, in Toronto, one of the White Sox first road trips last year. Alex Avila had gone down, Kevin Smith gets called up, and boom, right there. Smith's on the disabled list for quite some time. So we'll talk to Kevin uh, about what's been going on with him. We will also, this afternoon, hear from J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. The Major League Baseball draft is coming up on Monday. So we'll break down the draft and kind of find out which prospects, which young college kids, which one young high school kids the White Sox may target and how they'd fit into the organization. And we'll also, oh, and this is the other thing. I think I forgot to mention this. Hawk Harrelson, you know him. Hawk Harrelson was on with Steve Dahl yesterday, on with the Steve Dahl show yesterday. So we've got a, a little piece of a conversation that Hawk had with Steve Dahl. And when those two start going, just pull out the stop signs. There's, there's no reason to stop them. They had a good conversation, and, and we'll bring some of that back for you, too. It's pretty darned entertaining. This is White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and in case you missed it, we're live at the T-Mobile Mag Mile Store on 700 North Michigan Avenue. Come out and say hello. 4 o'clock news is next. Kevin Smith, White Sox catcher after that. You've got WLS AM 890 and White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We're joined by White Sox catcher Kevin Smith, who's kind enough to take a couple minutes out of his day for us. Kevin, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Doing good, Connor. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I, I got to ask you this cool. first and foremost. This is your, your first long extended run through Major League Baseball. And I've, I've always figured that catchers have to be the guys that are happiest to get the long call-up because you guys have more gear to haul around, and in the minor leagues you have to do more of that yourself. And in the big leagues, everybody takes care of that for you. For sure, yeah. Um, I, I think the the worst thing is, is you always have four bags carried around the airport, so oh. when you're going up and down and having to move stuff all around, um, it kind of becomes a pain you're not just a pitcher with a glove. So um, you, you have a bat bag, an equipment bag, a clothes bag, your personal stuff, and it's just it becomes crazy. But um, it's a big league, so there's not too much to complain about anymore. I, I have to imagine that even down there the club does pick up your, your baggage fees, right? I mean, that's something that the union oh, yeah. has negotiated oh, yeah. that for you guys. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Good to know. Well, let me let me ask you this. I, I'm wondering, yeah. you know, as as the White Sox pitching staff, and you're such a big part of that, you and Omar both mm -hmm. have been looking to get deeper into ball games with starters. For sure. I, I wonder yeah. what the, the conversation about that is like when you go into those individual meetings, you know, prior to games, when it's you and the starter and I imagine Coop and whomever else is oh, in yeah. there. Can you kind of set the scene for us with what those meetings look like going into sure. each and every night? Yeah, for sure. Um, we usually meet about an hour and a half before the game. Um, I kind of do my own separate uh, preparation way before the game, just kind of uh, getting a feel for um, what each hitter does against lefties and righties, and then I kind of have a heads up before we uh, go into that meeting with Coop and the starting pitcher that day. But um, kind of just go over basically what their weaknesses are um, and kind of where we want to pitch those guys that day. Um with each starter, we obviously have have more of a strategy and like the setup hitters more. Uh, but when the bullpen guys come in, it's kind of we stick to their strengths and focus on what they do well. And um, usually that's throw really hard and throw off speed off of it. So, <laughs> um, but as for starters, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we're hitting a little rough patch here. We're not getting too deep into games, but I think um, 
moving on from here. We're going to start working a lot um, way before games as like catching bullpens, kind of seeing what they're working on, what pitches they're um, focusing more on, maybe where they want us to set up a little more on the plate um, and just kind of learn sequences with the guys. I mean, obviously Omar and I are a little younger in the big leagues up here, but um, we're both very, very capable of uh, handling the staff. And I mean, we've had a lot of, a lot of success this year. So um like I said, it's just a rough patch, and we're going to get out of it. We're just going to keep working hard and just keep moving forward. Talk with White Sox catcher Kevin Smith here on White Sox Weekly. Kevin, I wonder, you know, because we don't get to see, fans don't usually get to see those meetings specifically, but mm-hmm. we have, you know, if you watch ESPN, if you're, a, if you're a football fan or whatever, you've seen quarterback meetings, you've seen those rooms, you've seen John Gruden yapping on tape. You happen to have played a little football, a little quarterback. How do those meetings compare? <laughs> In any way do they compare? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um I- I, I am going to say the quarterback meetings are a little longer and a little more intense. But, well, sure. Um, so certainly prepares you um, for this side of the game, just because you know you're you're analyzing video, you're analyzing weaknesses, um, just kind of looking for any kind of edge that you can get over the opponent. Just like in the quarterback room, essentially, you know, you're looking at at coverages, you're looking at tips, you're looking at um, anything a, a guy might do that kind of tells you a coverage or a defense or. Um, whatever they might be playing. So it's the same way in baseball. Um, we're looking at guys' stances. We're looking at their hands. We're looking at their timing. We're looking at maybe what they're looking for, uh, maybe what they may adjust to um, uh, in-game during their bats. Um, just all all kind of little things we, we try to lock in on to get that competitive edge. But, you know, at the end of the day, right now we're focusing on um, pitch execution, Um, and just really throwing these pitches with conviction, throwing them with confidence, and just trusting the fact that, you know, we have the talent in this locker room to be a competitive team, win win a bunch of ball games, and just go out there and have fun. And uh, I think think, um, there's a lot of good energy. There's a lot of good good vibes here. And um, it's just just one of those things with sports that you have to grind it out and just, just keep moving forward. So I don't mean to ask you to pour out the secret yeah. sauce or anything by that by any, by any stretch, <laughs> but we've noticed in in watching kind of the the big numbers that fastballs are down across baseball. Guys are throwing more off For speeds, sure. and this is all over the place. I'm wondering if you're, uh-huh. do you notice that more behind the plate or when you're hitting, uh, or is it a combination of the two? And and have you as a as a club as an organization noticed and kind of adapted? Um. I mean, to be honest with you, I really, hearing you say that um, kind of surprised me. I mean, like, for instance, with uh, Kluber tonight, we just found out, you know, he's way down on throwing his fastballs. Yeah. Um, so so that kind of matched up um, with with what you're saying. But um, I, I think I probably noticed it more as a hitter, maybe more than catching, because mm-hmm. a lot of times catching, I'm, I'm calling a lot of pitches off of maybe what I'm seeing uh, that at bat or the previous pitch. But um, I, I – just to hear you say that, my initial reaction um, is to tell any pitchers, young or old, you know, that they have to trust their fastball. They have to pitch off the fastball. And um, I think I think maybe what's kind of happening is you see a lot of guys in AAA that may be older that are kind of learning that um, maybe they have to use their off speed a little more. I mean, you see a lot of pitchers that can throw all their stuff for strikes they're going to be the successful ones, um, but they also but they still have to pitch off that fastball. So um, kind of interesting stat, but something I really haven't locked in on, but um, 
It's cool. Well, let me ask you this. Semantically, Kevin, like if you sit down yeah. with, I don't know, a guy who maybe you can come up with a, a pitcher faster than I can, but a guy who throws like a cut, a two-seamer, and a fastball, to you, when you're sure. catching him, is that one pitch? Is that a fastball? It's not, right? Uh, oh, no. No, no, no. Um, those are all different fastballs. I mean, with four seams, we're going to elevate those a little more. Um, sinkers kind of running on the hands, maybe. Um, something that, like, Holland likes to do a lot um, and, like, Pelfrey. But, you know, um, if a guy has a good four seam, we're going we're gonna to stick down and away with that to righties. We're going to try to elevate that a little more. But, like, a guy with a cutter, like tonight, we have Gonzo throwing. Mm-hmm. Um He's going to try to throw that a lot tonight and on uh, lefty's hands. Um, it just usually um, usually those are three three separate signs. Um, but in general, whenever you become comfortable with the pitcher, you're going to know if you call an elevated heater, he's going to throw a four-seamer. Um, maybe if a certain lefty is going to come in on a righty, he might grip a four-seam, and you don't necessarily have to call the four-seam, but you know what he's going to do. Um, but if I were to separate them, the cutter and fastball in general are two separate ones sure so i i wonder and we joke about this a lot you know as pitchers sign with the white Sox or come up through the organization or get traded there there is the magic cutter that don cooper teaches them or something there's some sort of you know late night meeting and all of a sudden guys got a cutter and has great command of it do you catchers do you guys notice that too as catchers like do you go out to the mound at double a and the guy looks at you and goes okay so i'm working on a cutter and they, yeah i get it everybody oh. is Oh, the infamous cutter. It's like when you see the cutter on the scouting report, you're like, uh-oh, turmoil. <laughs> it is again. But, um, yeah, for sure. But um, I think a lot of guys, you know, their their cutters are really sliders. Um, there's not too many guys with a true cutter like like a Robertson or, you know, even Gonzo's kind of a modified, we call it a slutter, a sure. slider cutter uh, deal. But, I might um, have to bleep that, Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um yeah, I mean, it's very hard to teach a true one. But, you know, a lot of guys, if it a, if it's a confidence thing, if it's going to give that guy that extra edge to really say, you know, I have a, I have a cutter that I'm throwing out. It's like, all right, whatever, it's just a harder slider, but let's <laughs> roll with that. Um, but it's just uh, I, I think what the White Sox preach, you know, obviously I was in the system for a while and, and, and kind of coming up through is they – they want to see guys pitch off their fastballs. They focus a lot on down and away, um, and they ultimately love sinker ballers. I mean, um, you see a guy like Tyler Danish that has a great sinker. Um, we have guys, you know, obviously like Carson that has a great sinker, and we need to get him to trust that pitch mm. a lot more because he can get cutter happy. Um, and surprisingly, um, throughout the organization, they kind of try to get guys to get off the cutter more times than not because I think a lot of guys get cutter happy. Um, that pitch, that pitch, in my mind, should be used more for if you're behind in the count, you know, maybe an OO pitch uh, to get ahead or just, you know, just to miss a barrel once in a while. But um, we need to get guys to trust their fastball, trust those sinkers, and and get ground balls and and just get early outs. I think that's what the big issue is right now. We're getting deep in counts, we're we're falling behind, um, and just just not getting deep into games with our starters, and that's what we're focusing on right now. Talking with White Sox catcher Kevin Smith for another minute here. Kevin, I, I'm sure yeah. you've noticed you've gotten away in this interview with talking about a lot of other people. i got to ask you about you sure. now. i got to imagine, as a catcher, it's it's brutal to know that you have you have every facet of the game to focus on. What have you learned about yourself to balance working on your defensive game, working on the pitching game, and working on your swing all at the same time? 
Yeah, um, certainly a balance. Um, it can definitely be a system overload at times because obviously you want to get a hit every bat. You want to catch, you want to catch a no hitter every game. Um, but I, I think at the end, it just all comes down to preparation. Um, I think the game moves slower. I think uh, things come easier. You play more relaxed when you when you prepare. And I mean, that's even doing things as little as maybe looking at the scouting report once in a while when you're back in your hotel or uh, back of your apartment. I mean, I think a lot of times hitting guys tend to start thinking too much and, you know, where's my hands, where's my foot, where's my head, all these, all these little things, whenever, you know, you really have to just trust the work that you put in, in the cages with your guys and um, just basically go out and compete. I mean, we're all at the big league level for a reason and, and we have to trust our ability and and just trust the guys around us that are going to pick us up if maybe we don't get something done and um, and just go with it. I mean, if if you try to if you try to think of all those aspects and you know trying to be perfect at every single one, you're probably going to fail more times than not. Um, but you know you got to take it day by day. You got to trust trust the work you put in, trust the relationships, and like I've always said, two minds are greater than one out there. And you know, I'm always, I'm always for getting input. You know, from my pitcher, from my hitting coaches, anything anybody can give me. Um, I'm like a sponge up here. So, it's a good way to be, man. That's a, it's a good oh, perspective yeah, to sure. have on things. Really appreciate you talking. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, no. Great sitting down. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll see you guys when you for get sure, back man. against the Orioles on Monday. For sure. Hopefully, we can bring back some wins here from Cleveland. So, sounds like a plan. Thanks, Kevin. Sounds good. No, no problem. I appreciate you having me. That is White Sox catcher Kevin Smith. We spoke yesterday right before the Sox took on Corey Kluber and the Indians. I, I hadn't had a chance to talk to Kevin a whole lot, and it was pretty cool. I mean, the dude's a seam head. The guy, is, he's a catcher, so he kind of has to be. But his perspective and his just kind of the way, I, it was cool of him to kind of take us inside some of those pitcher-catcher meetings, those pregame kind of meetings, and how deciding how you're going to attack hitters, what exactly that guy can do. And I, I think one of the things that I've been – that I didn't know until I got into this, you know, like full-time, covering every single day of baseball and, and talking with pitchers and catchers. More often than not, when it when it comes down to a, a clutch situation, when it comes down to needing a big pitch and having to make it, it's, it's so much of what that pitcher right then and there is confident in as opposed to a scouting report at that point. It's so much more of, well, what are you throwing good lately? What's working right now? And how do we get that pitch to get the guy out as opposed to, you know, knowing that a low and in fastball gets this guy every single or whatever it happens to be. You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox take on the Oakland Athletics on Sunday, June 25th. It's Southpaw's birthday. And the first 7,500 kids will receive a Southpaw bobblehead presented by Mercury, Chicago's Skyline Cruise Line. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. When we come back, we'll get you the farm report. This is White Sox Weekly. We're live at the 700 North Avenue T-Mobile Mag Mile Store. We've got tickets to give away to both baseball games and concerts. April Rose of 97.9 The Loop is out here as well. She's giving stuff away. Come out here, say hi, talk White Sox with us. We've got the Farm Report coming up next on WLS AM 890, and this is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and this is your farm report. It has been a nice little week or so for the White Sox down on the farm. 
lot of big updates to get you. And, of course, it, it starts, at least the Farm Report does, with a couple of rehabbers, uh, James Shields and Carlos Rodon, both working their way through a couple of rehab starts down in AAA Charlotte now. Rodon, as we've mentioned on the show a couple of times, will make his second rehab start coming back from a, really a, a whole spring training where he wasn't able to really go much at all. Uh, his second rehab start tomorrow afternoon. As for the regular Charlotte Knights, you know, the guys who are, are in there and running it every day, Yoan Mankata last night for the Charlotte Knights hit himself a home run, his seventh of the season. One hit in two at-bats. He also walked three different times. So as Mankata is coming back from, from that bruised thumb, an injury that cost him seven days and a number of strikeouts and subsequent at-bats, you know, it cost him a little bit, I suppose, time and timing. And making sure he's healthy is probably the most important thing. But nice to see him get back in there, have a decent game, get himself a homer. Also in that game, Carson Fulmer went five, did not give up a run, struck out two, and walked just one, four hits. Nice to see Carl, uh, Carson Fulmer bounce back from uh, from a, a few bad starts that had, you know, mostly the long ball plagued him, but coming back with, the, with really two good starts of late. Jacob May is hitting 279 after a 10-game hit streak was snapped on Friday night. He had one hit last night, so starting another hit. Nicky Delmonico has hit in 16 of his last 19 games. Seven multi-hit games in that span as well. So Nicky Delmonico continues to crush uh, Delmonico's whole slash line down in AAA right now. 278 with the average, 352 with the on-base, and 474 slugging. Some pretty good work from Nicky Delmonico there. Lucas Giolito actually goes, I believe it's tonight. Yeah, it is. It's tonight for the Charlotte Knights as well. Giolito, in his last five outings, let me just run you through a couple of numbers here, as he had struggled in the first five or six. Six innings pitched back on the 13th, right? Back on the 13th of May, six innings pitched, four hits, two earned runs. On the 18th, five innings pitched, six hits, three earned runs. On the 25th, that was his no-hitter in seven innings. Seven innings pitched, no hits, of course. Three walks, three strikeouts. On the 31st, four innings pitched, a little shorter, eight hits, only two earned runs. And on the 5th, just the other night, six innings, 11 strikeouts for Lucas Giolito. Over his last five starts, 28 innings, a 2.57 ERA, and 26 strikeouts for Lucas Giolito as he kind of bounces back in a big way, perhaps, here in the second half. Down in double A, or second half of the first half, I guess. Down in double A, two all-stars for the Birmingham Barons. Just announced a little while ago. Triple A still waiting to announce their all-stars for that game. Michael Kopech and Jordan Guerrero are your two starters who have made the all-star team for the Birmingham Barons down in double A. Michael Kopech is second in the league in strikeouts with 80. He's had a terrific start to his White Sox career. Jordan Guerrero, his teammate, is first in strikeouts with 84 and second in innings pitched at 69. Also, 69 and two-thirds. Also, Spencer Adams twirled himself a Maddox last night against the Mobile Bay Bears. Adams went nine, struck out eight, did not allow a run, got everything done in 96 pitches. That was a two-hour and 11-minute game. Spencer Adams doing real well. He is a White Sox born and raised, drafted by the Sox a couple of years back. Still young, too. You almost forget how young Spencer Adams is. I, I don't think he's turned 21 yet. If he has, it was just maybe last week. Down at high A, Winston-Salem, Zach Collins homered last night. Actually, a big big night for homers in the White Sox organization. Not only did Lucas Giolito homer, Zach Collins homered, 
And down in Kannapolis, Micah Adolfo also homered. It was his, for Adolfo, it was his fifth of the season. All of them coming the last couple of weeks. Zach Collins, his ninth of the season. Collins continues to walk. It's just absurd what that guy's been able to do plate control-wise. His slash line looks weird, though. Zach Collins, of course, the top prospect for the White Sox at the catching position. The average is 225. And certainly, you'd like to see that go up some. But with a guy who's had the hit tool that he's displayed last year with the White Sox and at Miami, you, you figure that'll turn around eventually, especially when the on-base percentage stays where it is at 386 and the slugging percentage at 455. Certainly, you get into a couple of balls, you drive a couple of doubles, and that even goes up farther. But nine home runs this season for Zach Collins, one of them coming last night. Uh, mentioned the Micah Adolfo homer last night. He's having himself a pretty good year down in single A. Uh, that would be low A, I suppose. Jamison Fisher, since coming off the disabled list, really to start the season, hitting 299 on base of 391 and 471, one of the more advanced picks that the White Sox made in some of the middle rounds last year. Mitch Roman, who led the league in batting averages, seen that slip some, but still a, a 280, 335, 330 line is all right from a middle infielder, a guy who plays second base most of the time. By and large, uh, last week, this past week or so, a pretty good week for White Sox players in the system. Uh, a couple other notes here. Zach Collins leads the league in walks. He now is 46. He is sixth in on-base percentage, eighth in home runs, seventh in home runs. He hit one last night. He's got nine. Uh, so all in all, pretty good work. We get to see more of the White Sox system at work tonight. Alec Hansen who is second in the South Atlantic League in strikeouts at 74. Alec Hansen starts tonight for the uh, Kannapolis Intimidator. So it's Giolito and Hansen tonight, which will be uh, well, be kind of a fun one. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We've got the news coming up. When we come back, we'll take a look at the upcoming Major League Draft with J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. Find out who the White Sox may be targeting and what this draft looks like overall. You don't want to miss it. Great conversation up next here on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly, a very special live edition of White Sox Weekly, though I will admit to Radio Magic here, this in and of itself isn't live. We get a chance to talk with J.J. Cooper, who's as busy as all get out these last couple of days before the MLB draft. J.J., thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. You guys at Baseball America really know what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. It is a crazy time. It is insane, but it is a fun insanity. I will say that. It is definitely fun. And at the same time, we are ready for the draft to be here because uh, we got to start working our 2018 draft prep. Yeah, that work doesn't start soon enough. That's great. So, JJ, <laughs> let me ask you this. If, if I can, or if you can't take a look at it from this way, what do you think – we in the industry, you guys in the industry who scout the way teams do drafts, we're going to go backward a little bit before we mm -hmm. go forward to the class. What do you think you've learned about the White Sox and how they're approaching the Major League draft now that they have a new crew in there and now that you've seen kind of time for the picks that Nick Hostetler and crew made to develop? Well, I, for one thing, I, I've been kind of impressed uh, with what they've done. I, I really like, if you look at the 2016 White Sox draft class right now, I think it holds up really well. Um, Zach Collins, I'll admit, pro scouts who talk about Zach Collins are a little bit all over the board. There's uh, some guys who aren't as high on him as probably most White Sox fans would expect, but that, even those, those are guys who are saying he may not have the impact that maybe uh, you know some people think. That's their opinion. That's uh, their very educated opinion. But Zach Collins, Zach Birdie, Alec Hansen, 
And that's giving a chance to have potentially three impact guys, three big leaguers out of it at the top of last year's draft and who've all really kind of done some stuff already. Obviously, Birdie's already uh, not knocking on the door already as a, as a reliever, but Hanson, you know, it's going to take a little longer. But I really love that, that pick, 49th pick last year. And mm-hmm. you have to say with that that for the 49th pick, they got a guy who, let's just be completely honest about it, fell apart, you know, whether it was his fault, whether it was the program's fault, awful junior year at Oklahoma and really didn't have uh, the consistent success you'd expect. He's kind of put it all back together, and that's the credit to the drafting on the uh, for the uh, White Sox, but also for player development for the White Sox. But I think it also shows you last year they definitely went track record. College guys have a little bit more track record, and really mm-hmm. everyone they took there had track record, and so far that's paid off pretty well. You know, I talked with Nick Hostert a little, a little bit at Sox Fest this winter, and he kind of mentioned that, of course, this was this winter and the draft is six months later, but he kind of mentioned that if he had, you know, his pick of the litter, you know, picking up at one or whatever, that he'd get a little bit younger, that the White Sox would get a little bit younger in this draft, whether that be necessarily high schoolers or not. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know we can kind of play with that a little. But, you know, given that perspective and the one you just shared with us about how you've kind of looked at this system and this organization in the draft now, has it fundamentally changed how you maybe slot picks for them in the mock draft over at Baseball America? Um, I I do think that you've seen uh, a progression go away from – there was a time with the White Sox where I feel like that you really – it was all about upside. And it was about toolsy, often high school guys who were going to be pushed really fast and – like I'll throw a JUCO guy in there, in Tim Anderson's case, a JUCO guy, who mm-hmm. we pushed really fast. And some of them would swim, and they would thrive, and others would really kind of flounder with that situation. I would say Courtney Hawkins is a guy who was pushed fast, and it didn't work out. Tim Anderson is a guy who was pushed fast, and it's worked out pretty well. But I, I do think that also you have to look at kind of it, – it, every draft is different from the standpoint of it depends also where you pick. It depends on how the draft board sets up. Like, you look at this year, Sox pick 11th. Well, this is a, a draft where I'd say at 11, it gives you a choice of, you're going to have a choice of, of one bets or really one of the best college arms in this class of that second tier because there's kind of a top five, I would argue. And then after that, it it gets a little uh, a little bit more over, all over the board where there's different opinions. I think the top five have kind of separated themselves a little bit. In a case like that, I mean, again, they could go really toolsy in high school, but the reality of it is, is that I don't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went to college well again, because there's going to be guys at that pick that just make a whole lot of sense that maybe they wouldn't if they were picking 20 or 22. Talking with J.J. Cooper, Baseball America here on White Sox Weekly MLB Draft, just uh, well hours away almost at this point when we air. So you you mentioned it. You could go. It's it's funny because you know the the predilection toward high school toolsy outfielders was absolutely there. I, I think the White Sox have have kind of put that out there. And yet now in the midst of this rebuild, that might be where you want to go. You know, you've got some time to let a pick like that develop. What what's the difference then when we get to and I know a guy like you know Jordan Adele and uh, Jaron Kendall have been talked about quite a bit in that mm-hmm. eleven spot. What's the difference between those two guys, and if and if there's a larger class that those two guys represent at that you know top fifteen level? The interesting thing is is that I think that Jaron Kendall, those Jaron Kendall is the riskiest of the top college bats that you could choose from in this draft, first mm. round bats. 
And Jordan Adele is one of the riskiest from the high school bat perspective. Those two guys are high upside, high risk. Reynolds, I mean not Reynolds, Brian Reynolds was the Vanderbilt guy last year. Sorry, sorry about that. That's all right. Start with a yeah, start with Adele. Adele is as toolsy as pretty much any high school bat in this class. I don't think there's any question of that because he's got. I mean, he's really. If you wanted to pitch, he's got. He's 94 off the mound. You're talking about a guy with serious raw power who can run. But all that, and he had a great, I mean, a great, an outstanding spring this spring in, uh, in Kentucky. He had over 20 homers, just a monster year. That being said, he had a lot of times last summer on the showcase circuit against better competition, especially the start of last summer. He didn't look very good. He made adjustments. He got better. But there's, some, there's going to be some concerns with the bat. Jaron Kendall, for a college guy, faces a lot of the same concerns. There's a lot of swing and miss. Uh, of all the guys, the high school, I mean, the college bats we're talking about, as much swing and miss as any of the guys that we're going to put in comparison, Taven Smith, who is another guy who I think is in that same range as a college bat, mm-hmm. has struck out less this year than Jaron Kendall can in about a weekend. Um, but you get with that premium tools, a, a guy who has defensive value in the outfield, unlike a lot of these other college bats we're talking about in the first round, who has power as well. You get you get higher upside there. Just it comes within in a riskier package. JJ Cooper, Baseball America, with us here on White Sox Weekly. I know I'm sure that you guys who who do the draft hate this next question more than maybe any other question. But I got to ask it, considering the White Sox are both at 11 and at 49. I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. Spots. Is there a guy in a top five that you see might able to be fall that might might fall in this draft for whatever reason, signability, all this other kind of stuff. And is there a guy like Alex? Not to 49. Not to 49, sure. No, no, not to 49. Yeah. Uh, Just just to 11. And and at 49, is there a guy maybe kind of analogous to Alec Hansen who might have had more stock in his profile and then didn't have quite the college, probably senior season that maybe he otherwise would have wanted? Um, I I would say, okay, let's start with at 11. Could a guy fall to 11? Absolutely. Um, You know, we talked about Adele. Adele is, is. That would be a little bit low as far as pure talent for Adele. We have, I think, Adele ranked seventh on our board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's unrealistic to think he could get to there. Um, I, another guy who, and I think this fits right in his range, but Austin Becca, kind of a breakout spring this year, uh, North Carolina high school outfielder. Beck is a guy who there's been rumors of him going as, as high as you know five, six, somewhere around there, but at the same time, there's also a question of where does he end up landing. He could fall further, and kind of with that the case, Beck is a guy who fits who who could be there partly because of uh, asking price at 11. Um, but the reality of it is is that as kind of I said to start, there are five guys I feel like Hunter Green, Kyle Wright, Brennan McKay, Mackenzie Gore, Royce Lewis who are kind of the top five. We got JB Bukowski. JB Bukowski, uh, North Carolina's ace this year. The best slider in the draft. Carlos Rodon had the best slider in the draft a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. J.B. Bukowski probably has the best slider in the draft since then, uh, especially for a starting pitcher. It wouldn't be crazy to think he still could be on the board. I would say it's unlikely, but I don't think it's crazy that he could be on the board when the White Sox pick. That would be another uh, option like that. Then you get to 49, you're asking kind of the guy who, you know, either there is – there's upside, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it comes with uh, more questions. Um, 
Okay, Corbin Martin, uh, who maybe could be on the board, Texas A&M. Okay. He kind of, he's a guy who's kind of the, the, the arrow has gone up on him, I think. Uh, go a different direction. No one knows where Tristan Beck is, is going to end up in this. Tristan Beck, if you remember Cal Quantrill, for, for the draft fans out there, Cal Quantrill went to the Padres last year after not pitching at Stanford that whole year, coming off of Tommy John surgery. And and is now one of the better, you know, he's a top hundred prospects, one of the better pitching prospects in the game. No doubt. Tristan Beck uh, hasn't pitched at Stanford this year, all year, and so there's a lot of uncertainty of of which team is he going to end up with. If he's still on the board at 49, um, that would be, you know, I think an outstanding value at that point. Uh, that that'd be another guy who kind of fits that. Last one for you, and this is a much more philosophical question. We've got a lot of two-way players in this draft. Hunter Green made an SI cover, for gosh sakes. What, in your mind, if anything, can happen? What, in your mind, needs to happen for a kid to be drafted as a two-way player and make the big leagues as a two-way player? Are we anywhere close to that being a reality as we sit right now? (laughs) You're you're probably going to laugh at this answer, but the key part for him to do that is to not be very good, um, which <laughs> makes is sense. because when you're talking about the Hunter Greens of the world, when you're talking about the Brendan McKays, we're talking about even Adam Hazley's a two-way guy in college. Right, He's going right, to be right. absolutely a position player in, in pro ball. But when you talk about those guys, they're too valuable to run that risk. Hunter Green's value as a position player is as a power-hitting shortstop, maybe third base at the you – know, well, you're not going to let him go out there and pitch – and then say, hey, by the way, when you're not pitching, we're going to ask you to make throws from deep in the hole. Right. It's just not something that's going to be allowed. Now, you could say that Brendan McKay would make more sense because he's a left-hander slash first baseman. But even in that case, Louisville didn't – they started the year thinking, okay, he's going to be our Friday starter, and then Saturday, Sunday, he'll play first base for us. And what they at Louisville ended up saying, and this is in college where he's the most valuable player they have on both ways, our college player of the year we just announced – they looked at it and eventually after a couple of weeks and said, you know, we're asking him to make throws that it's not fair to ask him to make, even at first base yeah. when he's trying to recover from 105 pitches from last night. So they ended up moving him to DH more. Yeah, okay, could a guy DH a little bit? Sure. But the reality is, is the wear and tear to pitch and to play a position is it's, it's hard to risk that when you're talking about a guy who's one of your best players. On the flip side – if you're talking about the guys who've had the success doing this, Brooks Kieschnick, Micah Owings, it's guys who are the 24th, 25th man on the roster where the ability to do both is the difference between them making the roster or not. And to be perfectly sound, you don't want to sound cavalier about it, teams don't worry nearly as much about if Brooks Kieschnick was going to blow his arm out doing yeah. that because you can find another guy to replace Brooks Kieschnick. If Hunter Green has a chance to be the best, the best pitcher in the, in the game, you don't want to take that risk of him getting hurt hitting, and that's why. J.J. makes all the sense in the world, man. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for looking at it. We'll be looking at Baseball America all weekend long for all the coverage of the draft. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. That's J.J. Cooper of Baseball American. Awesome conversation with him. And just you know, so you know, in case you missed it or in case you're kind of in and out on this Saturday afternoon, I couldn't blame you. It is gorgeous outside. Uh, you can check out all of our interviews on White Sox Weekly at WLSAM.com slash White Sox. All the interviews, the whole shows, everything, it's all podcast there for you, so you can consume it any way you like to consume it, maybe car rides or what have you. Uh, MLB.tv Premium is back and better than ever. 
Watch every out-of-market regular season game live on over 400 supported devices. Plus, get a free subscription to At-Bat Premium, the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. we got a break coming up, and after that, a news and notes segment. A couple of things to get you caught up. few numbers on the White Sox that maybe you didn't know. And in case you did, we've got some news from elsewhere in the league. We're live at the T-Mobile Mag Mile store at 700 North Michigan Avenue. It is a road game for the Sox today and a road game for White Sox Weekly. We're giving stuff away if you'd like to come out here and hang out. We've got tickets to baseball games. You can hang out in the WLS Diamond Suite. You can win tickets up there. You can also win tickets to a Def Leppard concert. Also, the the Loops 40th anniversary show at the Chicago Open Air. It's featuring Kiss and Ozzy Osbourne. I'm told that's at the Toyota Park, which is a cool place to. I saw Fish at a Toyota Park concert once. It's it's not what you thought. It's not. I swear to you, it's not what you think. April Rose is here giving those tickets away. You can come hang out with us and uh, and talk White Sox too. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can hit us on Twitter, at C1McKnight. We'll be right back with news and notes. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Baltimore Orioles. June 15th at 1.10 p.m. It's free T-shirt Thursday, and the first 10,000 fans will receive a 1917 World Series tee presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park and win big. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesocks.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. You know, incidentally, uh, the entire White Sox production staff and myself have seen the 1917 World Series Championship T-shirts, and we all agreed. We saw them last night. We all agreed we would absolutely wear those. They are a good-looking T-shirt. And Lord knows I could use a few more good-looking T-shirts just to wear around. It is hot. T-shirts are a necessity out here. Uh, a couple of things to get to here. We are live at the T-Mobile Mag Mile store, 700 North Michigan Avenue. Come on out and win some baseball tickets, win some concert tickets too. April Rose and I from the uh, April Rose from 97.9 The Loop and I are out here. You can talk White Sox baseball with us. Probably more interesting to do that with April than me, but you're more than welcome to do both. We have got a benchmark segment here on White Sox Weekly coming up. Here is, here are the news and notes. White Sox Weekly. News, notes, stats, and anything else that you missed this week. So, just want to make sure you know everything you ought to know about your Chicago White Sox of the last week. The offense has actually been pretty decent of late. Here's why. They're hitting 279 with 32 home runs and 112 runs scored over the last 23 games. What that averages out to, the big one number, 4.9 runs per game. You put up five a game, and you can win a handful of ball games. We talked earlier in the show about how the starting pitching has well, been putting the team behind the eight ball just a little bit here in the last two weeks or so. And we talked with Kevin Smith some, White Sox catcher Kevin Smith, uh, about the plan to get them out of that rut. And certainly, you know, it's, it's a known thing. But the offense has been producing, and it's been led by none other than Todd Frazier over the last 11 games. He's got five home runs, 10 driven in, and a, an OPS over 1,000. Frazier's uh, whole slash line over the last 11, hitting 293, and on base of 370, and slugging 707. Five long balls, like we mentioned, 10 ribs, 12 strikeouts, five walks, 41 at-bats is the total. And I thought this was interesting, too, and certainly this all comes with the small sample size 11-game caveat type thing. Uh, but a 292 batting average for balls in play. A little bit under what would be, you know, league norm in a typical year, right about 300. So you could say that Frazier 
might even be producing better or uh, is, is putting together better at bats than the production might tell you otherwise. Um, a few other news and news. Oh, yeah, the draft is coming up on Monday. The Sox pick 11th. So figure right about, I, I think it's going to be right about the start of the game or, or just a couple innings into the game when the White Sox make their 11th pick. And we will, I guarantee it, break down all of the draft uh, on the following White Sox Weekly that would be next Saturday and uh, in subsequent post-game shows, too. White Sox had, and you heard J.J. Cooper, Baseball America, mention it, just a terrific draft last year, one that he really liked, one that a lot of people in the industry really liked. Uh, and we'll see if they can follow it up with another one this year and add a little bit more talent to a, a massive, massive farm system at this point. Um, one other note, oh, Trey Miachewski and Keon Barnum were both promoted to double A the Birmingham Barons, they move up. Trey Miachewski has kind of bounced around a couple of levels. Keon Barnum moves up to double-A. I believe it'll be his second crack at double-A. Both of them uh, going back a level to go up a level. So congratulations to the both of those two as they move up in the White Sox farm system. Trey Miachewski and Keon Barnum go to double-A. Uh, that just happened this afternoon, in fact. Five o'clock news is next. Just after that, we'll talk to Scott Merkin of MLB.com. He is in Cleveland and has the latest on the White Sox. We'll get you posted. Keep it right here. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890, a live edition of White Sox Weekly. We're at the T-Mobile Mag Mile on 700 North Michigan Avenue. Our next guest is Scott Merkin of MLB.com. He joins us from Cleveland, and Merk knows as well as anybody that Superhero Night returns to the ballpark on Thursday, June 29th, as your Sox take on the Yankees at 710. The first 1,000 fans to purchase this specially priced ticket will have the chance to participate in early BP and receive an exclusive Jose Abreu Superhero bobblehead. Visit WhiteSox.com slash super before these tickets are up, up, and away. Uh, Merck, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate it. Any truth to the rumor that you will be dressed as He-Man for White Sox Superhero Night? I just want to go back before the tickets are up, up, and away. Is that what you said? That was That's the exact right. quote, right? That's right. Up, I just want to make up, it. and away. It says so right here on the right here on the paper. <laughs> I will not be dressed as anything but me that night, but I do want to extend condolences on the uh, sad passing of Adam West today. What a, what a great show that was. I'm sure a lot of... People are too young to remember the original Batman show, but what a great, like, action-slash-ironic comedy that was every week. And, and some of the great stars of our time played villains on that show. We were talking about that today on Twitter with Burgess Meredith as, as the Penguin and Cesar Romero as the Joker and Joan Collins as Siren and uh, Milton Burrow as Louis the Lilac. If you have a chance to go back and watch those shows, go back and watch them because they're I, You know, they used to be on reruns for me when I was a kid sure. waking up sure. on, on, you know, I don't know whatever channel it was, but I would watch Eartha Kitt as the Catwoman, too, by the way. Although I think there were three of them. That's that's three. a little out Julie, of my depth. But... Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather, and I know way too much about Batman right you now. You know I a lot I'm... about it. This is incredible. I think in a way, I think in a way that series, whether it be like the Christopher Nolan Batman films or the Michael Keaton ones or even the really bad George Clooney, one, I think that show influenced the way Batman got played for the rest of time, whether it be, you know, in just little subtle ways or really in, in huge callbacks. And I think it's been it's been something that's always mattered to that franchise. It's been pretty cool. And I think it's uh, one thing I, I remembered today. Another person on Twitter pointed this out is they had a uh, cameos. You know, inevitably there'd be a part in the episode where Batman and Robin were scaling the side of a building. Right. And some celebrity would always open the window and like for 20 seconds talk to him and Batman would close by, okay, citizen, go back in. You know, it was Jerry Lewis or Edward G. Robinson or Sammy Davis Jr. And we're talking, you know, big names. It, it was, it was. 
I think that's why – I think you made a good point, and uh, we probably need to talk about baseball at this point, Connor. We can just talk at about some point, yeah, at time. some but, point. But, but, but I think when it's played more for comedy, it seems to do well better than when they go the darker edge to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a really fair point. Uh, Scott Merkin, MLB.com, joining us, and we got way <laughs> off track here as we talked about superhero night. That's, by the way, June 29th, so if you're as into Batman or, you know, whatever superheroes you're into – uh, come out to Superhero Night. Uh, how is, speaking of superheroes, or at least an incredible uh, power to shrug off pain, how is, Scott, Jose Abreu after getting plunked with that slider from Andrew Miller last night? I thought you were talking about me. My, my pain tolerance isn't quite as high as Jose Abreu. It's nowhere he's close he to said, that. Yeah, he, he said he's a little sore, a little bit swollen, but you know, it was lucky it hit more muscle than, um, than bone, and probably lucky, if you can say lucky, when Andrew Miller is pitching that it was a slider and not a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, but you know, Connor, you watched him, and I've watched him since he got here, and it takes a lot to knock Jose down, and the fact that he had to be helped off the field and couldn't put any pressure on that left yeah. leg made you think, well, this could be, you know, trouble, but he, he's he's fine. He's, you know, we asked uh, Ricky Renteria before the game about what did Jose say to convince you that he's going to be in the lineup, and Ricky kind of smiled and said, he said, I'm playing. And Abreu <laughs> told us that, you know, the team's not going well, and it's his job to be out there and try to help him, you know, kind of right the ship. So as, as the lineup kind of goes here, as, as we've seen before, this is kind of a typical one for tonight. The roster changes a little bit with Adam Engel being sent back down to AAA Charlotte, optioned, I should say, and Alan Hansen, who was picked up off waivers from the Pirates. What's the, what's the conversation, uh, and you just spoke with Ricky Renneria before this game tonight, what's the conversation about Alan Hansen? How, how do you think he gets used? And I guess to a certain degree, why make the move? Yeah, I mean, that, that'd be something more for uh, Rick. And I, I want to add real quickly, uh, you know, Adam Engel did a, did a nice job up here. And he his, really did. You know, I, I think he, he kind of, he kind of it, it, if this makes any sense, in the short time he was here, he kind of grew as he went. I mean, he finished his first stint, and I'm sure it will be the first of, you know, uh, more than one for sure for Engel at the big league level, with a hit off, a single off Kluber, a single off Miller, and a, a stolen base and a great catch in center. And that's pretty much his game right there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, you know, that's what the rebuild is kind of all about. You're trying to see everyone you can, and they took a chance. They had a spot on the 40-man, and they feel like, you know, they've had success before kind of taking other teams. I don't want to say, um, what's the proper word? Other teams that players who have just not hit the potential, and they've kind of hit the limit of where they're going to go in that organization and giving them a second chance. And, you know, Hanson's a true utility guy. He plays around the infield. He said his natural position is second, but he can also play, you know, across the infield and in the outfield. He's got great speed plus speed, as did Engel, too. So I think they're just, you know, maybe a little more with an infield guy with Liori kind of anchored more in center field now. And just, you know, see what you got and see how these guys go through it. It's all part of the process right now, and they're taking a chance on – a premium talent who hasn't played out to that level so far in his career. Fixer-uppers. I think we call them, you know, with the whole HGTV thing, we'll second just tack chance, on it. Second chance type guys, yeah. There it is, fixer-uppers. Um, so so what is the conversation with, with Lurie Garcia? You know, Ed and DJ and I have talked about it a lot on the broadcasts, and there the instincts aren't necessarily there in center field, but he hasn't played there much. However, the athleticism and just the, the sheer tools that you need do seem to be there. How have how have coaches worked with Lurie? How has Lurie kind of adapted? Are are things changing some for his for his ability for his for his instincts too in center? Well, you know, it's funny. I haven't checked this recently, but I know I, I've seen in other people talking about this that his his saber numbers or his his 
defensive war and that kind of thing it reflects pretty well, right? I mean, that he yeah. his, his his number his ratings are pretty good out there. But the funny thing is, I talked to him in spring training about this, and a little bit as the year goes on. But you know, his natural position, the one he's most comfortable at, is shortstop. Right. And that's obviously not going to be his position. They have Tim Anderson there, and I think it's just kind of a learning process for him in center field. You know, he's made some very nice plays out there, and he's made some you know, kind of, I don't know, I guess questionable reads out there and that, that haven't worked out for him. But, you know, I, I know uh, Renteria has liked him, you know, even when he was the bench coach and felt like, you know, this is, I, this is what I've talked about a little bit, I think, is that, you know, the word rebuild kind of gives you um, a, a little bit to work with. You know, if it wasn't for a rebuild for the White Sox this year, Avi Garcia would not have probably been the starting right fielder for the White Sox. And that's not taking anything away from Avi, who's an all-star right now and probably, you know, on a better team, record-wise, uh, an MVP candidate, but he had not played well up until that point. If they were going to go for it this year, you probably couldn't take the chance with him in right field. And the same sure. with Leori and Sanchez, who hadn't you know, showed their skill but hadn't showed consistency in the utility role. Well, now you have the rebuild where you know they've talked, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have both talked about, hey, we know it's going to be tough this year. We're going to take some lumps. And you're giving guys a chance to play. And for the most part, they've shown pretty well. And that's the thing with Leori is he is learning you know, a little bit more about – center field as he goes you know he's played it a number of times but this is the first time where he's had a chance to play it consistently so I think that's going to develop as he goes in terms of you know picking up reads and the nuances of the position which is not his natural spot talking with Scott Merkin here of MLB.com covers the White Sox and does it darn well you can follow him on Twitter and of course you can just go to WhiteSox.com and merch stuff is all over the place Scott what of of Avi Garcia of Lurie Garcia of Yolmer Sanchez which of those three, which one of those three has been most surprising to you in their, you know, really kind of ascension season that the, that all three of them are having? That's a really good question, actually. I mean, Avi, you knew, had kind of that, you know, it, it's used as kind of a, a buzzword, but the five-tool talent. And I think the yeah. problem with Avi was that people just assumed that he was up here forever. And I know, you know, they whenever I'd say, well, he's only played one and a half full seasons, people would hit me back with, well, he's had 1,300 career plate appearances. But this is a guy who I've, I've used this line a thousand times now, but was a starter in a World Series game before he had 50 plate appearances in the regular season. So I think it was just a matter of hit, it clicking for him, and something did click for him this offseason going into the season. I, I would say probably, you know, Leori, just because we haven't seen a lot from him in terms of production when he has had the chance. And he strikes, he's striking out a lot less this year. And showing some power, which we didn't really know was there. You know, Yomer, when he was given the chance to play, when he first came up and took over from Micah Johnson, he had a horrible time at the plate, although played good defense. And then, you know, found a little bit of consistency offensively. So him taking that next step up is not as surprising. I think it's just the overall game shown by Liori. And Avi, maybe the fact that he's, you know, through the first half of the season, his numbers rank up with some of the best in baseball is a little surprising, but you knew the ability was there, and he did show that for months at a time. It just wasn't over a course of, you know, an extended period of the season. Yeah, I think for me, I go Lurie as well, just because, like you mentioned, the strikeouts have dropped like immensely, and the power that we didn't know was there is all of a sudden there. I guess, and quickly, I think we've only got another minute or two if we've got to hop to a break, but okay. so if we flip it to the other side with the relievers, you know, there have been, whether it's Swarzak, whether it's Canely, you know, there has been a number is there a is there a most surprising ascension for a reliever that a, that a White that the White Sox have had this year for you? Oh, it's got to be Canely, and, I, sure. and I've talked to people in the organization about that, and they say it's Canely. I mean, this is a guy who you know has all the talent in the world, but could not throw a strike for the life of him. 
and now he's, you know, one of the, the leaders in strikeouts among relievers, and also, you know, his, his whip is tremendous. I mean, some, he made a little bit of an adjustment in his delivery and, and some of his pitches, and he's just he's become an elite guy. And now the question is, do you strike while the iron's hot and see what you can get for him and move yeah. forward? Do you consider him as part of the group going forward? But I think, you know, I, I don't know much about Swarzak. I know he's had some success before as a major leaguer, but I think it's got to be Tommy Canely has been the biggest surprise out of that bullpen by far. I'd agree with you, and I, I think you've already posed the next question we'll be asking you on White Sox Weekly a, a couple of weeks from now, but it'll be, uh, when do you, who is, whose iron is hot, or who's going to be put on that kind of uh, trading block, and how do the White Sox move forward? Merck, really well, appreciate it, as always, my friend. We'll see you okay, when you okay. get back. Gotcha. All right, that's Thanks, Scott Merkin of MLB.com, <laughs> and uh, we'll see him when we get back, when the White Sox come back and play the Orioles on Monday. As for tonight... We got a ball game coming up. 6:15 is our start with the Cleveland Indians. Pre-game show starts at 5:40. Got one more segment for you here on White Sox Weekly and it'll be a good one. I know this because someone else did it. Steve Dahl and the boys had a conversation with Hawk Harrelson just yesterday. Hawks on the show, so you know it's going to be a good one. Hawk, of course, made the announcement uh, just last week, a week and a half ago, I think, technically, that next year will be his last in the broadcast booth for the White Sox. 20 games, uh, mostly Sunday home games, and select others. Of course, he'll be around the organization. He's not going to, you know, he's always going to be a member of this team, more or less. Um, but for Hawk, next year will be the last in the booth. So, Steve Dahl, who himself has longtime connections with these White Sox, had a chance to talk with Hawk on the show yesterday. Wanted to bring you a piece of it because who can't get more Hawk? We'll come right back with that. This is WLS AM 890. You've got White Sox Weekly. Big John and Ray. Now heard weekday mornings 6 till 10 a.m. on right. WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly, a live edition here at the T-Mobile Mag Mile Store on 700 North Michigan Avenue. We've got baseball tickets and concert tickets to give away at 6 o'clock, so come on out here and win some stuff. You can also join us for Guaranteed Rate Field at Guaranteed Rate Field, rather, as the White Sox take on the Rangers Saturday, July 1st. First 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox Hawaiian shirt presented by Beggar's Pizza. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. The Hawaiian shirt is a staple of broadcaster Steve Stone's attire. He loves those things. Hawk Harrelson, however, the great one, the legend, the Hawk, was on the Steve Dahl show yesterday. And he and the boys reminisced a little bit about what will surely be a Hall of Fame career, the early days of Hawk Harrelson. So wanted you to have a listen here on White Sox Weekly. Here is Steve Dahl and the boys with Hawk Harrelson. All right, well, I, I just, I, first off, congratulations on a fantastic career. And, you know, I mean, I, we've known each other since back in the day when you were with Double D. Oh, boy. That, and that was, some, that was some fun. You guys had some fun. That uh, was really, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, Don that, Drysdale. I I miss that big guy. He was dumb. You know, he, we had, we had so much fun together and we had, all, hell, we argued half the time. Right. You know, and uh, we almost got into it a couple of times and we were, in fact, we were here in Cleveland one time going over to the Vern Fuller's uh, restaurant and uh-huh. this was before he met Annie, you know, Annie, when he met Annie, she made him stop smoking, she made him stop drinking and, you know, he just, she just turned, turned his whole life around, but. Before then, we got into an argument, and I was driving, and uh, he was on one of our young pitchers. He was very tough on young pitchers. Right. I said, why don't you get off that guy? 
And we got into an argument. Finally, I said, you know, the hell with this. Said, Let's just get it settled. So I pulled the car off the side of the road, jumped out. <laughs> and he got out. And we got in there. We got face-to-face, and all of a sudden, I'm looking up at him, you know, and he looks down, and he, thank goodness, he smiled, you know. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, gonna, he's one tough customer. We just hugged each other. But uh, that was a lot of fun with Big B. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I grew up a Dodger fan. I grew up in L.A., so uh, one of my idols for sure. And okay. now, so you're you're going to keep doing the road games this season, right? Right. All yeah, the way through, we'll through, and then next season you'll come up and do some Sunday home games. Yeah, Sunday day games and Sunday home games. Yeah, uh, um, we'll some, I'll do it. We don't know exactly what's going to happen yet because uh, Jason's going to uh, he's going to do a couple of series for me because uh-huh. I got some stuff to do. And I'm going to reciprocate with him, you know, because he's going to have some uh, ESPN stuff he's got to do. Uh-huh. So, so it's, it's, it's not a set thing right now. It's just, a, for the most part, it's just a, I'm, gonna do, I'm not going to do any night games, except maybe when we play the Cubs. That's the only night game I'll do. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's good. So you're going to be around, is my point. I mean, that's... You, we will still yeah, feel your presence, yeah. correct? Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to be there, and I got uh, be coming up to the ballpark sometimes, you know, to uh, meet and greet, so to speak, with yeah. uh, some clients yeah. and, and sign some autographs and take some pictures and sit there and tell some lies, you know. Yeah, you got to. That's the best part of baseball. It is you the know? storytelling. <laughs> exactly right. You know, I think this one writer, in fact, he wrote it not too long ago. Uh, I don't know what paper it was. Uh, somebody sent me a, an email of the story. Said that uh, two guys in baseball are not play by play guys. They're Vince Scully and Hawk Harrelson are are two storytellers who do play by play. Right. And that's what the game. You know, the game is built on first of all great players. That's what the game of baseball is built on. And then it's built on great rivalries. You know, when you got the Sox and the Cubs, you got the Yankees and the Red Sox and Dodgers and the Giants. And then it's built on tradition. And we're a generational game that, you know, grandfathers can tell their grandchildren about. In some cases, great-grandfathers can tell their great-grandchildren about. Right. And other sports don't have that. No. And that's why I get the majority, I get a ton of fan mail. And most of the time, it's always thank you so much for the stories about some of the guys in the past. Uh, and, of course, we can't exclude the youngsters. We have to tell them who some of these guys in the past were because they have no clue, you know. Yeah, but, you know, the best part is it's a chance to talk to the youngsters about something that they want to listen to. So, it's it, as you said, it's a great way for generations to communicate. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and I, I tell you what, guys, it's been such a great ride for me all these years, you know. I want to go to uh, January 1st, 2020, and that'll put me in that club. Not many guys are in. Right. Uh, Vin's in there. Scully's in there, you know. Uh, Don Zimmer's in there. I think Lasorda's in there. Dave Garcia's in there. Uh, people who have been in professional baseball all parts of eight decades. Man, oh, man. Yeah. Now, that's, that's a long time. Mm. That's impressive, man. But you can't be in that club unless you have lo- really loved the game. 
You know, and if you've loved the game, you've had a lot of disappointments. And if you love the game, you've had a lot of thrills. And if you love the game, the one thing I know about baseball is the longer I, that's how this is how beautiful this game is. The one thing I know about it is the longer I'm in it, the less I know about it. <laughs> I'm telling you, this game is absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, I played them all. I played football, great football, played All-American basketball player. And by far, this is the most beautiful game of all because nobody knows it. You've just been around it longer than other people. Now, right. as far as the X's and O's, you know, X's and O's in basketball are important. X's and O's in football are very important. X's and O's in baseball don't mean a damn thing. Nope. On any given day. No, we got people in the stands every night at a Sox game who X's and O's wise can run a Major League Baseball game. <laughs> you don't have that in football. You don't have that in basketball. Right. But you got it in baseball. The, the key in baseball is having guys get out of them what they have in them. Right. And wow. that's why you take a guy like Joe Madden. That's why you take a guy like we got now. We got the right guy trending us in the right direction going forward. And that's Rick Renteria. I think so. so we have, we were two, we in Chicago, we got two of the greatest managers, in my opinion, because they get what's in these guys. Look at our guys last night, trailing 6 nothing, all of a sudden, you know, once we win the bet, and we can win a game in the ninth. Broadcaster Hawk Harrelson hanging out with Steve Dahl on the show yesterday, and that does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. First of all, a couple of thank yous. A big thanks to J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. Thanks to Kevin Smith. He's a catcher for the White Sox. You know him. Scott Merkin of MLB.com was on the show. Thanks to Steve Dahl and the boys and Hawk Harrelson for being a part of our show. Uh, thanks to Dave Zaslowski and Patrick Berger, April Rose for being out here, and the entire promotions team at WLS AMA 90 and 97.9 The Loop. Thanks for setting this whole thing up. And thanks to everybody at T-Mobile who, uh, who put up with us for the last two hours or so. We're not leaving yet. The pregame show starts at 5.40. White Sox and Indians get going at 6.15 tonight. So that's coming up next. One quick note before we get out of here, White Sox fans, you can join us for Country Music Night as the White Sox take on the Oakland Athletics. That's Friday, June 23rd at 7.10 p.m. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show presented by Coca-Cola. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash country. That's White Sox Weekly. If you missed any of it or want to listen to it again, go to WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Download the podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox baseball is coming up. 540 pregame show here on WLSAM 890.